We know very well that Rashi sticks to Pshat, telling us the simple explanation of the Psukim, and he'll only bring a Midrash if it is relevant to the Pshat. Although, in this parasha, when we see Bilam using Moshal, he speaks allegorically about the Jewish people, you can understand why Rashi would be more inclined to bring Midrashim into the story. Yet, we'll have a whole series of questions on the Midrashim that Rashi quotes when he explains Bilam's statement, that the Jewish people don't have soothsayers and fortune tellers. He brings two explanations. Why do we need two? What does each one lack? We're also going to ask why Rashi makes a point of telling us that this explanation is not as the explanation of Unculus, uh, which very often is not the same explanation as Rashi's. So why point it out over here? We're going to see that Bilam is speaking in comparison to a very unique time in Jewish history, the time of the giving of the Torah. And we're also going to explore a fascinating principle. What is of greater value? Something that happens now or something that will still happen in the future, but maybe a bigger impact event. So we do know that Rashi always focuses on the Pshat, nevertheless, and Dorton Vue Brengt in sein Pesh Josh Sazal is Doiv Zeh Hechech Pshat. Occasionally he does bring other Midrashim, etc., but only when they are relevant to Pshat. That's the golden rule of Rashi. Von deswegen, zet man azin, unser Parashab Shaykh Zedibri Bilam, Brengt Rashi Arop Aribi Drosh Sazal, Klal Shaloi Alder Harogil Befiroshoi. Yet in Parshas Bilam, you see that Rashi employs many more Midrashic references than he would ever normally do. Why? Because it's a very simple reason, because in the Pshat, it tells us that Bilam consistently gives Moshal, he speaks allegorically. Is moving as echlet in derch apshat is the pirush from atip sukim nit ba granite slate and poshon taich from the verta. So therefore, the pshat already tells us that the pshat of these psukim is not limited to the simplest explanation. Now it says da nimshal. There is always something that this moshal is supposed to imply. In zekifin zichayich ramosim and drushes was zanit mafirish and diverta from pasuk. And of course, in the unpacking of what Bilam was alluding to, we are going to discover information that is not in the actual words of Bilam's prophecies. But the zamin demit is moving. Yet at the same time, we have to remember. Rashi is not going to run off into the world of Midrash. Whatever that Rashi brings from Midrashim has to be aligned with Pshat. Every one of the Midrashim that Rashi quotes must be important, must relate to the words of the Psukim, must help us to understand the Pshat of the Psukim. So therefore we have to understand against that backdrop that yes, Rashi will quote more Midrashim than usual over here, but they have to connect to the Pshat. So let's understand what Rashi was telling us in his second explanation on the Pasuk that says there are no soothsayers, there are no magicians amongst the Jewish people. Like at a certain time, we'll say to the Jewish people, look what Hashem has done for you. So Rashi's Matik Deverta, Rashi quotes from that Pasuk the following, Like at a certain time, so they will say to Yaakov, etc. And his Mephorish explains as follows, that, that what the Pasuk is saying, Bilam is telling us there will be a time in the future that is similar to this time. 
that there will be a time where Hashem will illustrate to the entire world how much He loves the Jewish people. They will sit in front of Him and learn Torah directly from Him. And their chamber, their area, their designated area will be even closer than the Malachi Ashores. And they will ask them, sounds like the Malachim will ask them, what has Hashem done? And this is what it means when it says in the time of Mashiach, your eyes will see your teacher. One explanation. A second explanation. That word, is not necessarily a future tense word, despite the yud at the beginning. It could be an ongoing present tense word. And what it means is that that the Jewish people don't need magicians and they don't need fortune tellers. Any time that David needs to communicate to the people what he's doing, what his decrees are, they don't have to go through all these weird experiences of the various forms of divination. They get it from the Nevi'im, what Hashem's decree is. And if not through the Nevi'im, then at least the Urim Batumim of the Kohen God will express to them what the Ebesha wants to tell them. So first explanation, like there is a special time now, there will be a special time in the future. Second explanation, it's an ongoing thing. The Ebesha always has a way, direct line with the Jewish people to communicate what he wants. And third point, Rashi says, Unkles doesn't Translated this way. So now, immediately there are some questions that have to jump at you straight away. What a long Rashi. Rashi is always so succinct. So, Aleph, the Arichas in Pirish Rashi, such a lengthy Rashi with so much detail. But Fratin Ereshtim Pirish, especially the first explanation, where really what he wants to say is just like now the Jews are special to Hashem in the future, they will be as well. Where does he get all the other details? In front of Hashem, learning Torah from Hashem's mouth, closer than the Malachi Asharis who are asking questions about them. Where do you see all of that in the Pasuk? In the and, and why are all these details relevant to the Pshat? So why is Rashi going on what appears to be a very elaborate explanation for something he could have probably said very cle- quickly and clearly and, and, and succinctly? Question two, base. Was is the Schwerkeit Neden von die Pirushim? Was Rashi davon kommen zu beide Pirushim? As we well know, the Rebbe always analyzes if there are two opinions that Rashi quotes. Each one is obviously lacking something. We have to know what's this one lacking that the other one fills in and vice versa. So in these two cases, what does each interpretation lack? Gimel, third thing. Obviously, on the same logic, if Rashi quotes two explanations, whichever one he puts first is the one that must be closest to the Pshat. So the first explanation that says in the future there will be a time where you see Hashem's closeness to the Jewish people will be so close to him and learn from his mouth and closer than Malachim. How's that closer to the Pshat than saying we don't need magicians, we get direct messages. And lastly, what is Rashi getting at by saying an Unclus does not explain it this way? It's so common for Unclus to give a different explanation to Rashi, and Rashi doesn't discuss it, so why here? So some of the Voshim try and explain that the, the, the issue over here is, is the word Ka'is. That's the word. So 
So many of them, Mephoshim say the reason that you have to have the first explanation is because that word ka, ka is, already tells you life. There's a comparison happening over here. Life, there's a specialness now. So, so there has to be something else. Rashi assumes when you say comparison, you mean there will be something like this. And so it's obviously not talking about the now, because if you're talking about the now, you don't need a chofadimio, and you don't need a comparison. You're obviously talking about another time frame, similar to what Rashi says, that Hashem will show his friendship to the Jewish people through us from the word reus. So he also says, just like, so, so basically the Mephoshim is saying, just like now Hashem is showing his friendship and his closeness to the Jewish people. So there'll be another time in the future where Hashem will also show publicly such incredible closeness and love for the Jewish people. And then, of course, Rashi has to explain what exactly it means to show this love, which is teaching us Torah and being closer than the Malachim. Whereas the second explanation takes that same word, so clearly we have to explain those words. That's what Rashi used in the headline. So those are the words we have to explain. The first explanation said, is the big thing we have to explain. The second explanation said, is a direct follow-on from what happened earlier in the Pasuk, which was, that we don't have uh, soothsayers and diviners, etc., just so once you've told us we don't have fortune tellers, why not? Because Hashem communicates with us directly. Now, again, if we're going to go with these explanations, we have to be able to illustrate why each one has something about it that is not 100% clear. So what is unclear with both of them? What's difficult with the first explanation is There seems to be a break in the flow of the Pasuk. The first part of the Pasuk is speaking about the Jews not having uh, fortune tellers. And the second part is telling us about something that will happen in the future. So the flow is very kind of interfered with according to that explanation. And the second explanation has two problems. The minute that you suggest that Yomer is a present tense word, that is difficult because the tense with a yud at the beginning of a verb is usually future. And based on the second explanation does not help us to understand why it says if you're saying that now, in the now, we communicate directly with Hashem, why does it say like a certain time? Okay, so maybe that's the explanation. That's the explanation. We understand why you need two different pirushim, uh, because each one has a lack that the other one fills in. And really what it's trying to tell us is the chafadimion is the big deal that makes us know it's another time. And the, uh, the, the flow of the pasuk is what makes it really seem to be tied up with the messaging from Hashem to the Jewish people. However, as wonderful as the explanation of the Mephoshim is, it still leaves us with other lingering questions. First of all, Aleph. And Hanamiyas from Postuk is Muchas Vetzain, Nochatzeit, Bedemitzuderzeit. You're right. You look at the word Kaes, and it automatically lends itself to saying there will be another time similar to this time. And at that other time, there'll be this announcement or this exclamation of, wow, look what Hashem has done. 
Okay, so we get that. And even if you want to say that's in the time of Mashiach, fine. But where do you get all the other detail from? And why is all of that other detail relevant to the Peshat of the Pasuk? In other words, that they'll sit in front of Hashem, that they'll learn Torah from Hashem, and that they'll have closeness to Hashem that is beyond the Malachim. And why is it relevant to the Pasuk that who Dafka is going to say, look, what, what is it that Hashem has done? It's so amazing that should Dafka be the Malachim. Where do you see all of that in the Pesukim? Now the Mephoshim haven't addressed that. They've just told us that means that there'll be another time. We get that, we accept that. But all of the detail, where did Rashi get that from? Number two, according to the way the Mephoshim explain it, actually, the second explanation seems the one that is closer to Pshat. So why did the Rashi put the first one first? Surely, the second explanation is much closer to the Pshat, even though it does have the issue of Ye'omer not really necessarily being a, a present tense word, and that it doesn't address the Ka'is, but still it's closer to Pshat. Because here you've got a nice flow. The second half of the Pasuk is a direct continuation of the first half of the Pasuk. Isn't that the, the best Pshat that you could get? In fact, have a look at the Medrash. The Medrash quotes both of these explanations, but puts the second one first, and logically that actually makes more sense. Nochmer, beyond that, the Ramban, even possibly for Rashi, blows them Tzvet and Pirish. The Ramban ignores the first commentary, and he only brings the second explanation. So all of that points in the direction that the second explanation is the one that is closer to Pshat, so why is it put second? The way that Rashi words it when he says the word Ye Amer, which you would have expected to be future tense, is actually present tense. So if Rashi is telling us that this Ye Amer is not the typical type, he's immediately implying, but there are other occasions where apparently future tense words actually are present tense. Like Rashi has explained elsewhere, as Yashir, something which is in the present in an ongoing fashion. So, just like you could say, it's quite normal not to only see it as a future tense word. Maybe it's quite normal to say, whenever the time arises that you need information, they get it directly either from prophets or from the Urim Vetumim. So, if that's true, then the weakness of the second Pirush is not so weak. So, now we have a lot of reason to think that the second Pirush should have been first. Okay. So maybe what we could say is that the flow works as follows. Because remember, our big issue is what's the connection between the first and the second part of the Pasuk? So in the second explanation, it works perfectly. We don't need fortune tellers because we have a direct line. But in the first explanation, what's the connection? We don't have fortune tellers and Hashem loves us so much, He brings us close. So maybe we could answer that based on the Gemara. 
But the Gemara says, where's the Nedarim, right? The Gemara says in Nedarim. So the Gemara is all There the Gemara says, any person who does not engage with fortune tellers gets invited into a special close area with Hashem that even the Malachi Ashores cannot access. Shenemar, where is it? Where do we know it from? This pasuk. So there you go. There's a connection between the first and the second part of the pasuk, straight out of the Gemara. Maybe that's the explanation. And then we're done with the the issue, the possible problem with the first parish. So even though that's beautiful, according to the Gemara, you cannot say that that was Rashi's intention. Varum for the following reasons. The Gemara made it clear. The Gemara said very clearly that because a person doesn't engage fortune tellers, therefore they're invited into special closeness to Hashem. Rashi doesn't even hint at it. Base. If it's true that there is this connection, why is Rashi talking about the future? If it's true that as soon as you don't engage with fortune tellers, you're invited into special proximity to Hashem, that should happen all the time. Right? What does he say? Why does he say osid? Seeing as not engaging fortune tellers is present, it's current. Surely the result that we would then be invited into Hashem's imi bibn chitzasi, that should be now. Exactly as it was in Matan Torah, where we heard directly from Hashem. There's still a detail that even if you had to explain because of not using fortune tellers, therefore we're why say that we sit before him and learn Torah from him? How's that detail relevant? Now before we can go on, there are three other diukim nuances in Rashi that we have to examine, and then we'll get to the, the, the core explanation of what Rashi is getting to. There are other nuances to examine. For example, Why does it make a difference to our understanding of the story to know that we're not talking just generally about Malachim, but specifically Malachi HaShores? Base. Rashi starts to explain a Pasuk in Tanakh. This is the meaning of the Pasuk that when Mashiach comes, you'll see with your own eyes, you'll see your teacher. Is this Rashi's job when he's commenting on Chumash to use this as the time to explain Nach? He has a Pirush on Nach. Gimel, in Tzvetan Pirush, is Rashi Moisif, Second Pirush, where Rashi says that if Hashem needs to communicate with us, he does so through his Nevi'im or through the Urim Batumim, there he adds to the words of the Pasuk, what has Hashem done? He adds, what are the gzeris up on high? Why is that relevant to this conversation? In fact, when Rashi spells it out and says that the Eibishter will communicate with us, he then uses his own words, the gzeris will be communicated with us, and he doesn't use the Pasuk's words, ma'po'alkel. 
So there are quite a number of things about this uh, Pirush Rashi that really need to be explained. In order to understand them, let's look at the context. What's Bilam's job? And, and what's he supposed to achieve over here? And how is he supposed to achieve it? So the Bir Bozet explanation is, Bolak hired Bilam to curse Rachman Litzlanidin. Um, is given the answer, and so, in order to respond to him and explain what was going on, Bilam had to give him a, a marshal. Why he's unable to do it? Yeah, Bilam comes along like he's a big deal and he can take anybody out with his mouth and that's his superpower. And then he gets up and it just falls to pieces immediately. So he says, okay, let me explain to you what's going on over here. And he explains what? How can I curse those who Hashem refuses to curse? I look from the tops of mountains, whether that's literal or whether he's seeing the Avos, but he looks and he sees the He sees these outstanding elements that set the Jewish people apart in a, 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 a class of their own. And Rashi goes through all of that detail and explains exactly what are the different great things that Bilam saw that, that muted him. That's the first Vaisamasholoi. And then when it's the second time that he has to explain himself to Balak, and again he uses a marshal, what does he say? He says, there's nothing he can do over here. The Ebeshter is not going to change his promise to look after the Jewish people and protect them. And so your goal, which is to be rid of them in the desert, cannot happen. The Ebeshter is not backtracking. And then he goes and explains, you have to understand that they are amazing people. The Ebeshter overlooks their misdeeds. He has this chavashaft with them, this closeness with them. So now we're getting the theme, right? What's the theme? Where are we in the story? We're at the point where Bilam is explaining to Balak why in spite of all these incredible abilities, he is stuck. Because these people are incredible people with amazing protection from Hashem. There's nothing you can do to shift that. So now building on the theme, now he adds further. Not only can he not curse the people, in fact, the exact opposite. There is no fortune teller used, expressed by the word snake, right? Meaning, the fact that they are pure, that they have none of this poison in their ranks, they have none of this fortune telling, therefore they are immune to brocha. Almost as if to say that if somebody does dabble in that world, they expose themselves and they are protected, they have immunity. Ah, now the minute Bilam says this, he's actually exposing himself and saying, I'm not as powerful as I made out because these people have immunity. They have the brocha that I cannot touch, even though I'm this expert. Uh, exactly that. Exactly what they don't have is Bilam's biggest asset. So now at this point, Bilam really looks bad. Bilam, the world-leading Koisim, Loikesim Be'yakov, is unable to touch them. 
said the river, had been invited to Mamshach Yiven wegen der Meile von Eden, damit Madgish Yiven, as the Sibe, was er kennet early as home, is not mit Zad Zain, Bilam's Chesar, nor mit Zad der Meile von Eden. So therefore, he quickly scrambles and he says, listen here, Balak, you've got to understand, the reason I cannot touch these people is not because I'm weak, it's because they're amazing. So let me help you to appreciate their greatness that in spite of Bilam's amazing power to cause devastation, these people are way beyond that. So what does he say? So he explains that after he says that they are immune to Kalala because they have no fortune tellers, then he adds the greatness of the Yidin by saying, Wow, look at this. There's going to be a time or a place where they exclaim, they being the Malachim, as we'll still see, that nobody can touch us. So now that Bilam is making his point to over-highlight the greatness of the Yidin so as to protect himself for being such a failure, that helps us to understand the Lashen Ka'ace better. You know, in Hebrew language, you could say Ka'ace with a Shva, which means like a time. But when you say Ka'ace with a comment, you're saying like the time. The time we all know about. That amazing time that left an indelible mark on the entire world, that time is going to be replicated in the future. Which time is that? The beer in them, Ka'ace mitachov kemutso, weist, the minute you say Ka'es, you're talking about a time that is well known. Seeing as Bilam is talking here about how beloved the Jews are to Hashem, is moving So you have to say that Bilam must reference a well known time where you could see Hashem's love of the Jewish people. Everybody could see Hashem's love of the Jewish people. And everybody knows when that is. Even a child knows. The five-year-old learning Chumash knows when that time was. As the Zeit when the Chibah von Eibishen and Sidon is given Nikah Begoloi, is given in Zman from Matan Terah. Everybody who has read anything in the Chumash knows that at the time of Matan Terah, that's where Hashem declared His incredible love for the Eden. Look at what it says there. You'll be a treasure from all nations. The whole world is mine. Rashi explains it. That will be like this very precious treasure house of a person. So to Hashem says, you will be as precious and unique to me from all the other nations. And in case you think that maybe there's some kind of competition out there, and maybe you think that there's nobody out there, and, and, and you know, so it's not either way you look at it, you have to know, says David, everything is mine and I'm choosing you. So whatever else is out there, it becomes completely irrelevant. I'm choosing you. What an expression of love. So now Bilam says, like that time where the Abisha said, nothing else in the world will ever come to touch you in terms of how much I love you. Like that time, as there So therefore he's telling us that that future time that he's predicting will be very much like that well-known time, the time of the giving of the Torah. 
is moving. From that we can understand. As point we made in Torah, Rabbi Ingelen Torah from the Meibushin Aleim, the Asas Adibros was mekiret from Meibushin. Now you start to see the logic that Rashi is using. Ah, Bilam, you comparing this to the time of Matan Torah. What is the uniqueness of Matan Torah? We heard Torah directly from Hashem's mouth. Therefore, we have to conclude that there will be a time in the future where we will again hear Torah directly from Hashem's mouth. Everything about that special time where Hashem illustrated His love for us will be repeated at this future time where He will again show His love for us. That time was uh, Torah directly from Hashem's mouth. So will the future time. In vergleich zu andere, was the Gabe says, Chibosson, Nikeres, Kanal, Pirish, Rashi. Now, Chiba, real cherishing of somebody, has to be noticed by others. Otherwise, how can you rate it? The Mele is moving, as Beshas is retzig wegen Limitat Teira. Was Summa Selim haben dazu bechlalken Scheiches nit. So therefore, it's logical, says Rashi. We need somebody to notice this extreme love that Hashem has for the Jewish people. The nations of the world have no relationship to the Torah, so that's not going to show them how much Hashem loves the Yidden. Therefore, Rashi says, logically, not only is the story one of Hashem teaching us Torah, but it has to be that the Malachim who have the job of Sheros, there are many kinds of malachim, as we'll see in a moment. But these are the malachim who served Abishra constantly, and they will be blown away by the unique relationship that we have. So, we're not just describing those malachim that are dispatched down here onto earth to fulfill very specific missions. Like we have already learned all the way back in Parashas Vayera that there are malachim that were dispatched to Avraham Avinu with very specific shlichusin and they couldn't veer right or left. One whose sole purpose was to let Sarah know she's going to have a child. And one whose sole purpose was to overturn the cities of Sodom and Amorah. And one whose sole purpose was to heal Avram Avinu. Why? As Rashi tells us, because one malach cannot do two jobs. Like we see again with Hagar, when the malach has to come and tell her that Yishmuel is going to survive and that he's going to become a great nation, etc. Those malachim are not the ones that are going to be jealous of us. They're, so to speak, lower malachim that are dispatched to very unique short-term missions. It won't necessarily be such an expression of our love or how much Hashem loves us if those malachim are wowed. It's dafka those malachim who spend their time in a permanent sense of serving Hashem at the highest levels and they'll be blown away by how much Hashem loves us. In other words, you'll be able to compare Malachim serving Hashem, Yidin learning Torah, the Yidin learning Torah, in a league of their own. When we learn Torah from Hashem's mouth, at that point in the future, those Malachi Asharis who've always had this incredible sense of closeness, they're going to turn around and say, wow, look what Hashem has done over here. 
וזה פשטנדק וזה בהמשך צדם ועשויים מהם לברוח מטעם כלי נוחש ביעקב. הוד בילה מויסיף גיוונום בעבורנט, אז דוס וסכני שלן זין הכלול להפתיעים. איזנית פעל אר איז הפוכוס המנחש וקוסם, וזה זין לא נוחש. So now we see clearly the flow and the link between the first and second part of the Pasuk. What Bilam wants to know is, wants to tell Balak is, I cannot curse these people. Why? Not because I'm just a Nochosh, just one of these people who's a fortune teller, and lo Nochosh be Yaakov. Bolok, do you understand who these people are? These are people who have an incredible love in Hashem's eyes. Yes, it will only be revealed at a point in the future. But when it's revealed, it will completely outstrip the Malachi Ashores. How could anybody attempt to harm these people? That's the first pshat. Now suddenly the first pshat that Rashi brought is crystal clear. Co-ace, not just a Chofa Dimion, but with a comet, comparison to Matan Torah. Now we see the greatness of the Jewish people, like at Matan Torah. Oh, Matan Torah, that means the greatness must be expressed in learning Torah. Who would appreciate that greatness? Can't be the nations of the world, because Torah is of no value to them. Must be Malachim. Which Malachim? Malachim Ashores. And that's what, what Bilam is saying, is telling a two-stage marshal. To Balak, stage number one is, even if it was an ordinary fortune teller, you wouldn't be able to touch them because they're prevented from that. But now you have this powerhouse uh, fortune teller called Bilam. He still cannot do anything to them because they have this incredible relationship with Hashem. So why do we need a second Pirish then? This is beautiful. But there's two questions. What do you find in Matan Torah? The Yidden couldn't handle it. Yes, of course, the Ebesh was showing them so much love, but after two Debrois directly from Hashem's mouth, they said, enough, Moshe, please take over. And that's actually what happened. So how does this comparison really work? You're trying to tell me that in the future we will learn directly from Hashem's mouth, but with the precedent that you're using to build it from, like Matan Torah, didn't actually work out. They couldn't handle it. And if Taka, there will be another time in the future that is as great as Matan Torah, why will that period in the future have greater power to block Bilam than the fact that there was already Matan Torah? Therefore, Rashi brings two other details in his first Pirish. The first thing he says is that we have a nevuah that in the time of Moshiach we'll see the Ebesha directly. Firstly, we have a nevuah that unlike in the time of Matan Torah where it was this short-term overwhelming experience, we have a nevuah that says in the time of Moshiach the Ebesha will be your guide and you'll be able to see, meaning you'll be able to absorb it, you'll be able to handle it. And even more so, we'll actually sit there absorbing this information. Meaning, it's, it's not going to be something short term like it was at Har Sinai. The minute you use the word Yoshev, that implies something which is long term. 
like Rashi explained back by the time of Rivka, that when uh, <coughs> when Eliezer wanted to take Rivka to meet Yitzchak, and the family said, Rashi explains, Teisha doesn't mean just sit, it means spend time. So you're worried what is going to happen in the future. We have an assurance that it's going to work out and it will be long-term. And therefore, that's what blocks Bilam even more than Matan Torah, where there was this exposure to godliness, but we couldn't handle it, and therefore it was short-term. Aye, there's still a big question. So therefore, you're telling me that Bilam's whole reason he couldn't touch the Jews is because of something that was going to happen thousands of years later? Seeing as at the end of the day, this is something that will happen at the end of the day. How could that have enough power in the now that Bilam is paralyzed now? It's for that reason Rashi brings a second explanation. Not because we have a problem with the word ka'is, not because we have a problem between the flow of the first part of the Pasuk and the second part of the Pasuk. That all fits in place. The only question is that you will wonder how can something that hasn't yet happened be so powerful as to stop something happening now. So therefore, straight away, Rashi says, let's address that, that problem. The second explanation will immediately see, yea, Omer, not in the future, but in the present. That it means in the now, any time the Jewish people need information from Hashem, they don't go to fortune tellers, they get it directly from either the Nevi'im or from the Urim V'tumim. That would immediately address the big question, how can something in the future affect now? Says Rashi, okay, there's another explanation that is something which happens in the now that blocks Bilam's power in the now. So why is it the second explanation? What's difficult about the second, second explanation is, we said that the whole thrust of Bilam's argument is, firstly, they are protected and they deserve bracha because they're not fortune tellers. Plus, over and above that, they have an additional something. In this opinion, we don't see the additional something. In the first opinion, we did. They have an additional love, an additional chiba in Hashem's eyes that protects them even beyond the ordinary protection. In this second explanation, we're not seeing that. So we're not seeing an additional reason why Bilam cannot curse them. All we're actually seeing over here is information. Their access to information doesn't require a fortune teller. We're not seeing, and so therefore Bilam is blocked. That explains clearly why Rashi takes the first explanation as the one which is closest to Pshat, because it fits the Pshat of Bilam's psychological battle over here to try and defend himself in Balak's eyes, where he really has to show that he is disempowered by no choice or fault of his own. You don't see that so much in the second explanation, so the first explanation fits the Pshat better. 
Because the whole thing over here, not just this pasuk, but the entire theme is about Bilam blessing the Yidin, whichever explanation will highlight Brocha of the Yidin, that's the one that is closest to Pshat. Which one is it? For sure, the first explanation. They're loved by God. Second explanation, they have direct uh, a direct line of communication. Doesn't necessarily highlight so much how they're blessed. However, we have to acknowledge that even in the second explanation, there has to be some growth in the flow of the Pasuk. In other words, his argument has to get stronger as the pastor goes. We see that very clearly in the first explanation. He has a strong point that they are protected because they have no fortune tellers and a stronger point because Hashem loves them so much. So it's got to be this kind of growth of the strength of the argument here too. One thing's for, for sure. Bilam got the message already by this point that the Ebesha does not want him cursing the Eden. But he thought he had a workaround. He still believed that he could find that one time in the day, that, that brief moment, that nanosecond of Hashem's anger, and he could appeal Hashem at that point in time and get a curse in. That's why Rashi added, not in the wording of the Pasuk, but in his own words, that the Yidden have access to know when the Gezeros happen up high, on high. That the Nevim can convey to them what Hashem's Gezeros is. Meaning, in other words, Rashi is illustrating to us over here how the second part of the Pasuk adds more to why they were able to block or why Bilam was unable to curse them. So the first point is an ordinary soothsayer could not harm the Yidin because they don't have this in their society so they're protected. Over and above that, if you try the workaround of defining the moment when Hashem is angry and putting in a submission for a curse at that point, even that's not going to help because the Nevi'im will let them know they'll do tshuva and they'll block it. So now here's a beautiful take based on what we've looked at that these two explanations actually address a far larger issue that even has an implication in halacha. What is more compelling? A powerful value that's still to come or a lesser value that is already available, which has more power. The first explanation says there is a really powerful greatness. The Yidden, their closeness to Hashem, direct learning from Hashem, closer than the Malachim. But it's only coming in the future. Whereas the second explanation says that the might of the Yidin is not necessarily so innately powerful. In fact, it's even possible that there could be a time Hashem is angry and it could even be possible that there should be a Klolach 
But because they didn't have access to that information, therefore they have a way to block it actually happening. The advantage is it's in the now. So the first explanation highlights our greatness, but says it's still to be revealed. The second explanation doesn't highlight our greatness. It just describes a method that we have to protect ourselves, but it's available now. So which is greater? Something to come, which is truly powerful, or something available, which is perhaps less so. So therefore we can say the order in which Rashi presented his two explanations tells us what Rashi understands to be the Pshat. That a mega greatness which is still to come outweighs a minor greatness which is available now. That's what Rashi is saying. However, it's not so simple. Hang on a second. Rashi is not giving just an opinion over here. He's giving an interpretation of a perspective of a non-Jewish prophet. <laughs> so is das was so if you think about it for a second, one second. So what are we saying? We're saying that the it's you're looking from a perspective of a Novi, right? And not just any Novi, a non-Jewish Novi. So if he now says they have direct access to Hashem's information through their Neviim, for him, that's not a big deal because he's a Novi. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not a big deal. Beis Vikr. The truth is, the first explanation says that Hashem cherishes us even now, not only in the future. What's going to happen in the future is, all that's going to happen in the future is that it will be revealed. So nobody could say that that's telling us something of the future outweighs something of the present. It's something of the present. Our Mila, our greatness is now. We just don't know it, or the public doesn't know it yet. So actually, you cannot tell us that based on this we have clarity that something which will only happen in the future should affect now. That we don't know, because we're actually talking about a scenario that is available now, just not known. So what do we see from this? Go through all of Bilam's conversation. It's just talking hyperbole about the Jewish people. We are unbelievable. It wasn't even his choice, but he was forced to reiterate countless times how amazing we are. And each time he had to do it because he had to defend himself because each time Bolak was saying, no, go curse them already. So what comes out clearly over here is that this entire portion is all speaking about the greatness of Yidin, whether you're looking in the Pshat, whether you're looking in the Moshal, whether you're looking in the Medrash. 
Und der Farbe von Raschen wundert sich, bekommen, 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 es ist die alle Psukim, in die alle Psukim, verstehen ist, Ketagrume, Bechentung, Gemunkles, oder Kopone mit noch Apirisch. So therefore, if all of this is talking about the greatness of the Yidden, it's interesting that so many times Rashi says it's similar to as Unkelus has explained, except this, this time. Mit dem Oisnam, in dem Posuk, ich legab die Psukim Shalachrov. With the exception of this Posuk. Und it mir as Unkelus Lektirgen came nicht wie Beide Pirushim, and it's strange that Unkelus doesn't explain along these lines of the greatness of Yidden. And all Unkelis does is he gives a translation which is directly to the Pshat. It's strange to Rashi. The theme over here is clearly the greatness of Yidden. And so Rashi clearly holds differently, right? Because Rashi goes to the Pshat. He says the Pshat of all of these Psukim is the greatness of Yidden. And Unkelis hasn't said anything about it. So Rashi doesn't want to disagree with or outright, you know, um, disqualify the opinion of Unclus. So what does Rashi do? He doesn't say it outright. He doesn't say Unclus is wrong or loike pirishatargum. He says Unclus didn't explain it this way. Unkelis went with the ordinary pshat explanation, which Rashi himself would ordinarily do, and that's it. But he makes that note that we should be conscious of the fact that the ordinary pshat is not the way that Rashi is taking pshat in this particular series. In this particular series, the, the pshat itself has to illustrate the greatness of the Yidden. So, what can we learn from this? A lesson that we could take is. Not only are the words of the Nevi'im an ongoing impact on our lives today. And in every generation we have clarity, just like Bilam said over here. When we need information from the Epshah, we get it. Not only once upon a time, it's ongoing. The Tevishter reveals what he needs to reveal through the so-called eyes of the community in every single generation of the leadership. But there's a deeper message over here that the fact that we learned Torah directly from Hashem's mouth, that Matan Torah was also not just once off. Just like Nevi'im are not a once upon a time story, Hashem still has a way to communicate with us through our leadership. Debesh speaking Torah to us is also not a once of thing. No, says Azay Becholes. As when I learned Turkey the boy, when Tan Lachenim Rosecho Elentas me Pipshal Kodesh Borho, Debesh designed the Torah in such a way that every single time that we learn Torah today, if we learn it with the correct approach, acknowledging that this is Hashem's Torah, it's not my wisdom and it's not about how smart I am, it's Tan Lachenim Rosecho, I have the privilege of repeating your words. Then we are actually learning directly from Hashem's mouth, just in a hidden way that will only be revealed when Moshiach comes. If that's the case, if we are learning directly from Hashem's mouth, what should we even consider when people are skeptical, cynical, um, uh, when people are belligerent towards us, 
people who make fun of us spreading Torah. As Bilam said, we have clear messaging. We know what we're supposed to do. Why would we feel in any way inadequate or overwhelmed or self-conscious? Because people are saying we have clear directives. And what are we learning directly from Hashem's mouth? When I'm learning Torah, the Ebesh is with me, learning with me. To the extent that our actual feeling at the time that we learn Torah is meant to be and can be like the feeling we had at Matan Torah. So that's an incredibly powerful lesson for us. We have clear directives, we have nothing to be afraid of, and we're with Abishta, particularly when we learn Torah. So what if people have hang ups? It's not our issue. And because we, as the Pasuk says, when we have sincere dedication, then we are with Hashem. So therefore we don't worry when the Goyim start to agitate against us and they start talking about us because we know that it's all nothing, it's all empty. Even if those who are speaking out against us are world leaders like Bolak was, or they're great spiritual leaders and prophets like Bilam was, we're not worried. Because the bottom line is they know our greatness and they know how much Hashem loves us and that we're beyond the Malachim and if they don't know it consciously they know it in their subconscious because their higher dimensions of self are able to perceive that this is the reality until eventually the Goyim actually have to acknowledge that we deserve Bracha because we don't get involved with all the nonsense which means they recognize that we don't take their trends to heart and we don't follow their behavior. They see that we stand with absolute dedication and faith in Torah. And then when they see us behaving as we should and absolutely confident because we have clear directives through the generations and we have a Debeshto with us, they see that. Not only will they not obstruct us, then they help us and make sure we don't lack anything. They help us and especially they actually help us to get out of Golos and to get to Eretz Yisrael, exactly the opposite of what Bolak wanted. And then we reach the point, as Rashi says, where how beloved we are to Hashem will be revealed to everybody. That all the nations of the world, including their leadership and their kings, they'll be there to assist us and to help us. As will be revealed in the Gula, should Mamish come now.